Please pray with me. Christ to thee, with God the Father, and O Holy Ghost to thee, hymns and chants and high thanksgiving and unwearied praises be. Honor, glory, and dominion, and eternal victory evermore and evermore. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas indeed. It's good to be with you this evening. My name is Drew Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at St. John's. If you're visiting in particular, it's a privilege to have you worshiping with us this late at night on a cold Christmas day. I'm grateful to have you with us. And it's a privilege to come and worship. And just to draw your attention to something, one of the strange things about the Anglican worship service, the way that we worship in this church, is uh, that we have cobbled together scriptures and prayers throughout the ages to demonstrate both the word of God's faithfulness through time and the, to give us prayers by learning from the prayers of God's people throughout time. And so this last hymn that we sang um, is a text from the 4th century that has been translated into English so that we sing with the early Christians from long ago who meditated with us on this same night on Christmas Eve, on the incarnation, on the Lord who would dwell with us. And that's just cool. Um, And I didn't want us to skip over that part. So um, a beautiful hymn, that one, though the melody's tricky. So the prophet Isaiah, we're looking there uh, tonight. The prophet Isaiah writes 700 years before the birth of Jesus, and he describes this very night, he describes Christmas Eve with these words. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Isaiah writes about a people in darkness, a people who are defeated and tired, who have with themselves a sense of hopelessness, a sense that things were not right and perhaps they never could be right. A sense of being lost, of unable to see in the darkness, unsure of how to move forward. He writes of a people in darkness and deep darkness, darkness within, fear and anxiety and depression, darkness without, danger and death at the door. He's writing about ancient Israel, ancient Israel who had been conquered by the nations, ancient Israel who felt that perhaps their God had abandoned them as they had in fact abandoned their God. He calls the nation of Israel a people in darkness. And specifically northern Israel, those people who were first to be conquered by their enemies. The ones that feel far from God's purposes, far from what life was supposed to be. And that kind of a world can feel far from us if we think about, I think about it in the ancient Near East. But I don't think that darkness is so far from our hearts, even today, if we're honest. We don't live in a conquered, occupied land in Florence, South Carolina. We don't tend to think about death. We're quite skilled at avoiding having to think about it, in fact. But it's there. and In some ways, COVID brought that to our attention in a fresh way. We feel that opposition outside the great darkness of death present. We feel conflict and confusion in the outside around us. We see it in politics. We find it in our own families. We feel this darkness inside too, the struggle to do what we know is right. 
and yet can't seem to do, the struggle against that sense of loss that comes with every year, that deepening of grief as we lose those we love, the darkness we feel when we wonder if we're doing something significant, if our lives are actually meaningful, if we can make something of these things that we've been given, the darkness we feel when we get that creeping sense that perhaps we're not making it, perhaps we're not doing something meaningful. Perhaps we're just stumbling along in the darkness. And all the things that we try to use to light up that darkness, I think they point to how dark it often feels. The way that we'll turn to wealth or status, the way that we'll turn to marriage or to our children, or even to our spirituality to try to kind of screw a light bulb tighter, find a dim light that might bring meaning and hope, bring peace and stability to a world that feels out of control to a heart that feels far from what it should be. Darkness is not so far from us as we might think, which Johnny Cash knows well. If you're a fan of Johnny Cash, you know most recently he's put out a series of albums, the American albums, American 3 happens to be a phenomenal one, in which he covers a haunting song first written by Will Oldham called, I See the Darkness. This is how the last stanza goes. Well, I hope that someday, Bunny, we'll have peace in our lives, together or apart, alone or with our wives, and then we can stop our whoring and pull the smiles inside and light it up forever. But no, I see a darkness. But no, I see a darkness. See, Cash, Will Oldham before, sings, writes about the darkness present, writes about our constant attempts at finding something to bring light into it, and yet the futility that's found in any of those searching, any of those trying to plug a light bulb into the socket. It always falls short. Isaiah writes about this very night, and he says there's a great darkness, and he says that God's people walk in it, and he says sometimes it feels total and complete, empty and dark. But then Isaiah says, into that darkness shines light. And Isaiah knows where the light comes from. It's not the kindled fire of renewed human effort. It's not the illumination of some new fad, some new spiritual craze. The light breaking into darkness is from God. And so Isaiah turns, if you're following along in your bulletin, and we're at verse 3 turns to speak to God directly. He talks about the people in darkness, but now he speaks of this light. The light inspires him to turn to God in praise. In verse 3 he says, You, God, have multiplied the nation. The nation that was lost in darkness, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Isaiah speaks of a people in darkness, but declares that God will fill this people with joy again. In fact, he declares that God has. That's how certain he is that God will do it. He says that God has multiplied the nation. He has increased its joy. God will bring light into darkness. And not only will the darkness be dispelled from the inside of his people, those in fear and anxiety able to rejoice again, not only from inside will the darkness be dispelled, but from outside them too. The enemy's power will be broken and removed. It says the yoke of his burden, the staff on his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken. 
It's no longer there. Every boot of the tramping warrior, every garment rolled in blood, burned as fuel for the fire. All violence, all oppression removed, wiped away. Isaiah speaks of a people in darkness and says, God will break this darkness from you. God will break this darkness inside of you. He will take it and fill it with light until war and injustice are no more, until sin and fear are no more. God will bring justice and joy and peace and freedom and light. But how? How can God bring light into our hearts, hearts as broken and as dark as they are, if your heart's anything like mine anyway? full of grief and pride and self-righteousness and selfishness. How can God bring light into this world? A world filled with war and rumors of war. A world filled of disease and conspiracy and suffering. How can God bring light into a world like that? Well, Isaiah tells us, doesn't he? That the Lord will bring this light to bear on the darkness in our hearts and the darkness in our worlds through the most unexpected of means, through the birth of of a child. For to us, a child is born unto us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. A child will come, a child king, one who can set things right, one who can rule with justice, one who can bring peace. A child and a king and more than a king, because listen to how Isaiah describes him. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Well, that could be a king. But the next name, not so much. Mighty God. That's different. Everlasting Father. That's different. Prince of Peace. You see, it seems that God will bring light into darkness by bringing a child and a king who is God himself. Somehow, In the mystery of God's purposes, God himself intends to be light amongst us by coming as a child. By entering into this darkness with us. I was reading an interview this week with an ethics professor named Megan Fritz. In one of her ethics courses, she uses a thought experiment from the 70s that's called the experience machine. You might have heard of it. It's kind of a would-you-rather question that's posed. This is the idea. If you're given the choice to enter into a virtual reality machine in which you could experience whatever pleasure you wanted for the rest of your life, whatever sensation you desired would be there for you in this machine for the rest of your life, would you do it? Choosing now, this is a permanent decision, would you rather stay in this world Be involved in this world or live in the machine. That can give you every pleasure, every desire that you might want. It's kind of a matrixy question, isn't it? Red pill or blue pill, if you know the movie. The manicured simulation of a good life or the real experience of the real life, whatever that real life might come to offer you. In the 70s, 
As this question is posed, it's posed with the expectation that the answer is real life. Real life is better. Real life is what's important. We intend to live in the world. We want to make a difference. We want to do something meaningful with our hands. We want to make the world better than it was when we arrived. In the 70s, it was assumed that the right answer is the real world. But for the first time in the history of Fritz teaching her ethics course in 2021, she had a problem with that position. Because as she explained the experience machine, all but one of her students said the simulation, hands down, no question. And take the experience machine rather than real life. And if we're thinking about that, that might be surprising. It might be surprising to think of a generation willing to forgo meaningful action in the world for the sake of pleasure and comfort. But if we're honest, we do this all the time. We all do this in little ways. We all find little experience machines that can take us out of the present to try to stimulate some sensation that we'd rather have. You can pull the box out of your pocket as the first piece of evidence. But that's not the only one. I mean, we do this throughout our lives. We get lost in our vices. We get lost in our hobbies. We get lost in our jobs, in our families, in our relationships. Doing what Johnny Cash in that darkness song calls our whorings, our chasing after other pleasures, the screwing of the light bulb tighter, trying to get a little more light into our darkness. We all jump into the experience machine when we have the chance to pull away from the darkness that we feel in real life. But Isaiah describes a radically different movement. Not a movement away from darkness, not a movement into some kind of experience machine of simulated pleasure, but he describes a movement into darkness from the outside. And it is the movement of God who chooses not to take the pleasures that are at his hand, that are simply his for the taking, but to step into our darkness with us. Isaiah describes the movement of a God who becomes a child and is born into darkness, that that darkness might have light again. And so it happens that 700 years after Isaiah writes this prophecy, Israel is again conquered and occupied, this time by the Romans. And the darkness remains. It lingers in their hearts and it lingers in their land. And so Luke, the author of the gospel lesson that we read tonight, he writes of a young couple. The mother is with child. They're both very young. They're forced by their conquering armies, the, the Roman rulers, to return to their hometown to be counted in a great census. And so Joseph and Mary travel through darkness to Bethlehem. And so full is the city because of this census that's forced upon them that there is no room for them there. So the baby is born and laid in a manger. And even then the baby looks like he simply entered into darkness. Even then it does not look like light has broken. But remember, there are shepherds in the fields. Watching their flocks by night, sitting on the hills in the darkness, and suddenly, all about them is light. An angel speaks, the glory of God shines, and the darkness trembles then because
because it knows its hold is slipping. Friends, the Christmas story is the story of light breaking into darkness. And this light has been breaking into darkness ever since. It is breaking into darkness even now. This light is not a theory or an idea, a religion, or some set of good vibes that we channel. It's a person. This light is a person. It is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It is God himself who steps into this real world, into this darkness, taking on flesh, becoming one of us, coming as a little child into our darkness that that darkness might be dispelled. And friends, that Christ comes to us tonight, this very night. He offers himself to you, offers himself to you in his love and in his peace that he might be light for you as well. It's an invitation. It's good news. Amen.